this person who understands the gospel, applies it by faith to your life, and then applies that faith to the life of your children and raises them inside of that love. That's a that's a totally different thing than I check this box and I check this box and I check this box. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast, where if the shoe fits, you wear it. And if the truth hurts, you bear it. I am Justin Gruber. And I am Jesse Gruber. And today we hope you will seize, seize the, the faith. faith. Welcome to another episode of the Carpe Fide podcast. How are you doing tonight, Jess? I'm doing really good. That's that's great to hear. I'm, I'm, and you're going to tell me why. I'm very excited <laughs> to hear that. Well, tonight we have a very special guest. Uh, Dr. Ben Merkel is the president of New State Andrews College, as well as a senior fellow of theology. He holds a doctor of philosophy in Oriental Studies and a master's in Jewish Studies from Oxford University. You have to say that with some sort of distinguishing tone mm, very in English. Yes. Yes. Well, well executed. Um, well thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> he would prefer, though, to go by Ben. Follow for the rest of the interview. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> but I, I feel I feel really awkward saying just Ben, though. But Ben, how are you? Uh, good to see you. I'm great. I'm great. Uh, privileged to be here. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, in the midst of our Education is Warfare series here, uh, we are very thankful to have uh, someone who is on the front lines of Christian higher education, uh, which is not always something we are running to think about um, when we're making decisions for our children and with our children post high school age. But it's something that we do need to be considering, so we're very thankful to have Ben or Dr. Merkel, depending on what circle you're in, uh, (laughs) with us tonight. (laughs) I did okay, I thought that was pretty good. Smooth. Very oh, smooth. smooth. <laughs> oh, smooth, smooth as as something that's smooth. I'm gonna stop talking. All right. <laughs> My head. All right. Please let me go to our goal here is to give Ben as much time to talk tonight. So, so what will happen undoubtedly on this podcast You're is, failing so far. I know, is that the <laughs> uh, the the level of wonderful coherent conversation will increase dramatically from the usual Carpe Fide podcast. Please enjoy that. Ben, could you please we're curious, how does one go from just living a life to president of a Christian university, Christian college. So what's your background, the ministry you've walked to that's brought you to this point? Yeah, well, it's definitely um, definitely not at all what I had planned for. I still remember um, my mom, you know, I think somewhere in high school asked me, like, what do you want to do for a career? And I said, you know, um, anything as long as it doesn't involve a desk or books uh, <laughs> you know you can yeah, see no, seriously swing it a miss <laughs> failed miserably um yeah i definitely i definitely did not um did not think i was i was not interested in academia by any means whatsoever um in my undergraduate um i was very i i i believe that um if it was real knowledge that means it was in either a number or a formula Hmm. so i did chemistry throughout my undergraduate um i have an education major for my undergraduate degree but my my education major was chemistry i was gonna be a high school chemistry teacher um but the reason why i picked i picked education was somewhere in college i kind of really came into the conviction i wanted to be a minister and every pastor i knew was a teacher so i did an education degree um but somewhere in the middle of all of that i i in, in, um, in becoming more serious about my faith, I became more serious about um, being a person who's disciplined, who studies the word and who learns the word. And what I started to notice were all of the men that I admired, who I really wanted to be like, were men who 
um, were serious about learning. And I started to see that there was basically a particular habit of the mind that created the kind of life of faith that I really wanted to emulate. And as I started to, you know, follow in those footsteps, I suddenly discovered that this was actually an area that I was good at. Um, I actually was, a, I was terrible in chemistry. You know, I, I, I hated it, um, even though that was my degree. Uh, but as I moved to a liberal arts degree, I discovered something I was quite good at. But more importantly, what I discovered was, um, first of all, the liberal arts kind of opened up scripture, the life of faith for me. But then particularly as I moved to teaching in the liberal arts venue, I found that my desire to be a minister, I was actually more fruitful um, or, or I was having a greater impact on the lives that I was speaking into when I was a teacher than I had been just as an evangelist and whatnot. And I realized that education is an extremely important um, subset of the ministry that it that we need to lean into. And it, and it became something that particularly for myself, I, I was good at called to and that, you know, I kind of came alive, came alive teaching college freshmen. It was something I was good at. Hmm. Um, so that pulled me into this space. Um, me becoming president is, you know, I've joked with my wife that I kind of, for a while, I thought that God was drunk driving with my life. Because, <laughs> I, mean, I think people feel that like, you know, you think you're about this one thing and you get all, I get, you get all the qualifications to be a high school teacher and then you end up over here. And so you work really hard to like, okay, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to get really good at that. And then you decide I needed to go and get all my graduate degrees because I was really going to be a college professor. So that's when we went to Oxford. I did a master's in Jewish studies and then I did my doctorate came back to Moscow thinking I would be a, a teacher and actually there were no teaching jobs for me. So I went back into the ministry and I wondered why did I ever bother to go to Oxford? Um, but then after a few years, there were a few things that happened that just um, kind of catapulted me into this office. And when it happened, it was really weird how you could look back and, and see how all of these things that you thought were like just um, crazy, weird decisions, all of it really came together to prepare me for this job in a way that I would have never, ever seen coming. You know, it was really important that I spend time as a mm. pastor. It was really important that I spend time um, in Oxford getting the degrees that I got. It was really important. Each of these things that I did really came together to make me ready for this moment. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for it, but I would not say this is a path that you can like pick. <laughs> that's interesting. I, I wonder if that's a, I mean, I've never really asked the president of a, of a liberal arts college or university how they got there. So I wonder if that's a curious path for most. <laughs> it does seem like, I don't know. Well, if first like you go here and up. then here and then you backtrack, <laughs> then you move here and then eventually yeah. you'll end up right where God wants you. That is true. <laughs> a life of failures and it ends you with where God wanted you. It's pretty great. That's, <laughs> that, sound, that sounds well, that's right. That's the best place to land, really. I mean, so. Well, no kid wakes up like on a Saturday morning like, you know what I want to be? I want to be a, a, the president of a liberal, liberal arts college. Yeah, that's what I want to be. Nobody does that. <laughs> no kid is. No, well, that's the thing. I still remember in high school taking one of those tests to like tell you what your job ought to be. And I scared, I scored as um, train conductor. And, and uh, you know, like, you know, college president was never on the list of things that, you know, that you, you could be. And I, 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 I wouldn't have ever expected it, but it is in God's, in God's perfect timing exactly where I should be. Although sometimes I think, you know, liberal arts president of a college and, and, you know, p 
pastor. I mean, these things, train conductor seems relatively okay for that. I mean, sometimes you're <laughs> yeah. conducting the train wreck, but I mean, yeah, they still seem to <laughs> fit. There's, there's something there. There's something there. there they were, they're on there. Something. Absolutely. Um, well, <laughs> so in your roundabout way of having, did, now this is a little off topic, but did you grow did you grow up in Moscow? Is that like where you were from originally? No, no. I grew up in Southern Idaho in Boise. Boise. Um, born and raised in Boise. Um, you know, went to a private Christian school through eighth grade, but went to public school for high school. So graduated from the public school system, uh, went on to the University of Idaho, general evangelical background. It was, it was, um, when I came to the U of I, I I'm, I'm the, the most boring standard evangelical story of you. You have an evangelical past, but you hit public school, then you hit college, and then you did a lot of stupid things. And then somewhere in the middle of it, the, the Holy Spirit got a hold of your conscience, started knocking the snot out of you. And uh, I, I realized that, that if I'm going to be a Christian, I, I've got to live a certain way. And then it was actually in a Campus Crusade Bible study that um, I had a a Bible study leader who was a Calvinist and led, led a, Oh, it was a one year Bible study on the book of Romans. And, um, I hated it. I, I just, um, I remember him talking to me about like, what do you, what do you think about predestination? And I just told him it's the stupidest idea ever. And, uh, <laughs> no. it's not anywhere, I don't really need to worry about it. It's just your own little philosophical construct. Um, and uh, he was very patient with me, and he just said, you know, maybe just kind of keep your eye out as you keep reading your Bible <laughs> and see if you run into it. And, um, like I know inside of 24 hours, I was reading something, and I was like, oh, ooh, ooh, you know, just again and again. And, and I'm, I made that Bible study pretty miserable for him all year long. And then by the end of the Bible study, I was like, fine, you're right. This is what it says. Um, and um, that's kind of the way uh, that he, goes. Yeah. Yeah. He was actually an elder at Christ Church, which I was never going to go to that church because it was the weird church. And um, oh, man. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, I just kept getting beat up by the word and, and finally, like, OK, this is what it is. So that's how I became reformed, kind of showed up at Christ Church. I'm kind of wondering, have you ever thought about deciding that you don't want to be, you're just not going to be a millionaire? Because maybe then God will steer you towards that. I'm just not, you know what? I don't want to be a billionaire. I have no desire. And then maybe God will be like, yo, oh, you don't want that? Well, here. The old briar patch. Yeah. <laughs> Every, it's like uh, everything you weren't going to do. God said, well, you know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll yeah. try it. <laughs> it's like Solomon. He's like, you know. Oh, God, God's offering me anything. Well, I can't say riches, you know? <laughs> Don't do I say, say riches. I got to think of a smart answer, guys. It's the most humble thing I can think about. <laughs> Just wisdom, Lord. <laughs> hey, how anyway. dare you? That may have been the most genuine thing Solomon ever did. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think God knows. So. Okay, fair enough. All right, so we, we, keep <laughs> we keep throwing out this term, this liberal arts college. Yeah. But I don't want people to be confused by the word liberal. So Not if yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that certainly has certain connotations nowadays. So if if you could, uh, what is a liberal arts college? Because uh, uh, on my understanding, that's what New St. Andrews is. Right. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then what would you say the differences are between like a New St. Andrews liberal arts college versus just like a regular state? college, I guess, U of I, where you are, or like a Rowan University, where you, where we are. Sure. Yeah. So 
Um, liberal arts is like, that's what the classic education, the classic college education um, has been since uh, really the late medieval era. So when the college degree um, first came to exist, uh, it's basically in the 13th century, you see colleges start to pop up all over um, Europe. And the liberal arts education is what that bachelor's degree from the 13th century up through the 19th century and really into the beginning of the 20th century. That's what it was. Um, the, the word is important. So liberal comes from the Latin word liber and liber means free. Um, so the liberal arts education was the education that was um, um, intended to cultivate the skills of being a free man. Um, particularly a free man as opposed to a peasant or a serf or a slave or something like that. So, so that means that the liberal arts education was intended to be um, the education that you give to your sort of leading class, the people that you're selecting to be your, the, your cultural leaders. They got the liberal arts education. And what it was is a, um, you know, a, a, a combination of all of the the, the best of the liberal arts, philosophy, literature, um, science is in there, math is in there, rhetoric, um, and then most of all, theology. So in the liberal arts, theology was always um, described as the queen of the sciences. Um, to this day, if you go into the, the quad outside the Bodleian Library at Oxford, you'll have a door for each of the subjects, you know, grammar, rhetoric, logic, but then when you look to the door for theology, it's like this big, huge thing that takes you into this impressive library because theology is the queen of all the sciences because knowing God is really the ultimate end of all of our knowledge. Wow. So that's what the liberal arts education was intended to do was to train your, your leadership class. Um, and so um, throughout the late medieval age and through the, the early, you know, the, the, the early modern era, Basically, you you would have you would have your your nobility, you know, your 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 people of of noble names and whatnot. Um, but then, and then you had your sort of serf class below. But in between, you had your your middle class, which was the people who got this education, and they were intended to be your cultural leaders. And I think as as our um, world has moved out of you know, um, well being impoverished and so we've eliminated this kind of serf class that liberal arts education has become something that's more for everyone hmm. but it's still the intention of it has been to inculcate the habits and skills of cultural leadership and so in the in the medieval era you you'd get your liberal arts ba and then you could you could just go get a job or you could go on to get a degree in law theology or medicine those were the three graduate degrees that you would get from there um and even to this day, we still like in our military, we, we preserve that distinction between, you know, the main difference between enlisted and officer is your officer got a college education. And the, the idea is that this is somebody who has a certain level of leadership potential, which is supposedly signified by the fact that they got a college degree. It doesn't always quite have that effect, but that, that's, that's what it was supposed to do. And so these are the people who are supposed to lead the men in, in the military. So it's still kind of built into our society, though I don't know that it quite delivers the way it used to. 
That's that's a great. That's a great. I told you we should have asked this question. It was, it was a, a great answer. <laughs> no, I just like that last point. It it's still built into the society, but it doesn't deliver on on necessarily those. Well, let's call them lofty promises that it, that you would think it would make. It doesn't necessarily deliver on those things. It, it's so funny. Yeah. You would bring the military in. I remember um, one of my teachers when I was in high school had said that they were they they were in the process of actually earning their um, doc their med MD MD medicine, medical doc- doctor yeah med, correct I had did I say that right yeah okay yeah, yeah they're going to be that's, a doctor like what, okay. doctor all right or uh, a like DO, a real doctor but... not like a PhD doctor like a like a like a medical doctor but not like Doctor Jill Biden PhD doctors are probably the, some of the most real doctors that are anyway it doesn't matter they were getting like their Doctor Jill Biden medical do- <laughs> like I said medical doctor so. As soon as he was going to utilize the government's, you know, free money for that. So when he applied, he'd already yeah. had his bachelor's, his, his, his undergraduate degree. So he, when he applied, he actually instantly became of a higher rank once he was accepted than the person who had recruited him. And he actually got saluted yeah. when he had finished the process of, of becoming in the army. So that was kind of weird, but it makes, it makes sense. Delivering on it, though, is key because if it doesn't deliver... What's the point? <laughs> yeah, I heard. I hear now you can get a pretty high yeah. spot in the army by being like a, uh, I don't know, an African American trans woman. Yeah, that's or, or even a or even a Caucasian trans man. You could be like a health uh, health secretary or something. You yeah he they she. <laughs> it's very confusing. Every time I, it's like great. Feeling shattered. <laughs> If we just close our eyes and you listen to him talk, you can know that it is not a woman. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, he just gave an interview. I'm like, this is a dude. I'm not seeing anything. This is obviously it. Anyway, I'm just here to there. <laughs> Moving forward. It's even bad pretend. <laughs> when we're looking at it, getting a degree, there's this idea that, th- that first of all, now, now I, I wish I had just gotten a liberal arts degree first and then something else. But aside from at that, New St. Andrews, yeah, no, at New St. Andrews, um, isn't, isn't it just really a piece of paper? And if it's just about a piece of paper, then how is attending someplace like, like New St. Andrews actually different than just obtaining a liberal arts degree from just any Joe Schmo state yeah. know, college? Well, I, I think that that's a, it's a really important question because the, the, the problem is that um, increasingly the college degree is just a piece of paper. It, it really is. Um, it's it is, um, um, and and, there, and there's a there's a couple of different pieces to this because so I've argued that the 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 liberal arts education was originally designed to inculcate the skills and habits of cultural leadership. I think that that's really what it was supposed to do. That's what it was made to do, and honestly, that's what it does best. A really a good liberal arts education does that best. But over the last especially over the last hundred years, we have revisioned the college education and we have, we have changed the college education into a necessary certificate to qualify you to get a certain job. Um, so all of our degrees are named after careers. And so your degree now is not named after an intellectual discipline. It's, it's named after the job that you think you will get. Um, and, and there's, <clears throat> There's a little uh, allow me a little rabbit trail here because I do think that um, <clears throat> the student loan fiasco mm-hmm. is a big piece of this. Um, 
if you if you think about it, when you um, when you want to go get a loan for something, the way you qualify for a loan is by being able to demonstrate that you um, can repay it. If I want to buy a house, I show the mortgage company that I can make these payments. If I want to buy a car, I need to show them that I have the salary to make these payments. The student loan has, for the last I don't know how many decades, been the one kind of debt that, you, that the way you qualify for it is by showing that I could not possibly pay for this. You know, if I if I say I have no way of paying this back, that's the one way they'll say you qualify. All right. You this is great. You get it. And what's happened is because of student loan debt, college tuition has has really, really gone way up because they're trying to collect that student loan debt. So um, so you've got this this tuition price, the price tag that has gone way up because they're trying to collect what is available out there through the student loan debt. But you've got this 18 year old who's coming in and 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 you, you've got this huge tuition price tag. And the only way how do you how do you convince him to agree to that price tag? The only way that you can get him to agree to that is to take out an unreal amount of student loan debt. But how do you how do you take an 18 year old and say, listen, I think a really intelligent and thoughtful um, way forward for, for you right now would be to sign up for you know eighty thousand dollars in, in debt. <laughs> you know how, how do you how do you sell a kid like that, especially when his parents are sitting there in the room with him? Well, the one way you do that is by you you set up a piece of paper with with all of your degrees that you offer, right. and each degree is named after a job. And each job, what you do is you put the average salary for that job. You're going to be a mechanical engineer. Your starting salary will be eighty thousand annually. You're going to be a CPA. You're and and you show the money that they're the salary that they're going to get because they got that job. And, well, sorry, the salary that they're going to get because they got that degree. And and once you convince them that 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 um, that getting that degree will get them that job then suddenly this student loan debt actually starts to feel like a smart move. It feels like an investment right. and less like this splurge. And mom and dad feel like, okay, this is a safe thing that like my son will be a mechanical engineer. He'll be set up for life. The son is looking at the college campus and the, the, the gym they're going to get to go to the football games to go to the, the ratio of, live in of the female to male. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're, you're looking at that the party scene, all that. You're like this sounds awesome, and and so they're they're being sold by all of that. But the thing is, it's all a lie because the idea that you can promise someone a job is with your degree is a lie. What you're promising them is a piece of paper, mm. and and even that is kind of a lie because of those of those kids who take out that loan. Um, less than 70% of them, it's going to be in the 60% or so, will actually get that degree. Hmm. So, so I mean, think about that. Imagine taking out a loan on a house for, say, $500,000, and you're told you have a 62% chance you'll get the house. You know, you got a 100% chance you'll get the, the debt. I mean, a 62%. So all these kids taking out all this loan, and maybe they'll get that, maybe they'll graduate. And even then, of, the, of that 62% or whatever that, that graduate, how many of them graduate in the degree they they were sold on when they enrolled mm -hmm. as freshmen? Yeah. And then after that, how many of them who 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 um, get that degree get that job, or after four years in that job, how many of them stay in that job? 
And what you started to find out is it's we're now down into like 20 percent or so of these kids, maybe even less than that, maybe 15 percent are actually in that job that they were sold on. Mm. And so all that to say, this idea that your degree is promising you a job is garbage. Mm. What your college degree ought to promise you, and this is what I think I can do with a clean conscience when I'm looking at an incoming freshman, I can promise them a really good education. And what they're going to do with that education, we'll see what God does with it. I mean, I know, as we talked about earlier, I know firsthand that what you think you're going to do and what God has planned for you are almost always completely different things. (laughs) From personal experience, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and so the idea that we can like sell people on their future, I think, I think is a, I think it's twisted for colleges to do it. But mm. I think I, I get why they do it from a business perspective and a sales perspective. But the other piece about that is one of the things that I increasingly hear from from like when I talk to CEOs of companies and whatnot, they will tell me, I don't care what professional skills you have certified them in because any professional skill that you as a college have trained them for pretty much almost always I as a CEO out in the industry could have done a better job in training them in on the job on the job yep yeah because because your college professor is distant from the actual um, industry they don't know what you're doing and 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 industry is changing so swiftly the idea that a college is creating a degree program that gets you ready for that job that college bureaucracy is so out of touch they are not able to really actually prepare the correct professional you know education for for that career so i don't think that we're good at 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 training for jobs and what will happen is you you just are actually training them to pass like a little list of of skills that you've created that when they can demonstrate this that they know these skills then they can get this degree and then you legitimately as we said at the beginning you've just turned this into a piece of paper right it's, it's just a piece of paper and the sooner you can do dual enrollment or clep or whatever it takes to just get that piece of paper and be done the better and i i think that that's what colleges are are they're now I think experiencing the, the implications of the way we've recrafted um, education, where a lot of people are trying to figure out how to skip college because they realize it's just a piece of paper. But if you put all of that to death and say, no, actually, what I'm going to give you is a really rigorous education. What I'm going to do is I'm going to teach you how to think, how to read, how to write, how to communicate, how to speak, how to argue, how to work really hard with your mind, how to learn, how to teach yourself. I'm going to teach you those things. When I talk to CEOs now, what they say is, I don't care what your degree is, but if you have that, those those sort of core skills of humanity, uh, that's what I need. And so, and I see this in our graduates. Our graduates don't have any problem getting work. They get snatched up because they're just intelligent, hardworking people. And and a standard, intelligent, hardworking person who is going to show up sober and not planning on embezzling from you, <laughs> just... It's a low bar these days. When you have have that kind of talent pipeline, it's actually really stands out in in the world now. So I would say the liberal arts education has been undermined by this different um, vision of what a college is. But if you were to return to what the liberal arts education once was, 
this is the thing that America needs right now. It's the thing that the church needs right now. Mm. Mm. I mean, I'm sold, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got three kids. So when are, when are we enrolling, Justin? I mean, <laughs> let, let's, let's go. <laughs> no, no. We're, we're old. We're already dying. It's, it's done. Aww. It's done. But for the next generation, this is really where we're aiming here. <laughs> yeah. Ben's like, I can't sell you guys on campus. Just don't show up. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's creepy. <laughs> Oh, you know, we'll just drive our minivans. Oh, oh, it's worse. Um, <laughs> if that's how the degree is different yeah. from from a, a regular state college, how does how does NSA, which by the way is so phenomenal to say that New St. Andrews, their acronym, your acronym is NSA. It's just it's just fantastic. I don't think he knew that. I know he knows that. I just like oh, it. Oh. I wanted to denote that I, I. I was in I was in Washington D.C. a while ago, and I actually have a baseball cap with nsa on the you know on the front and i'm wearing my nsa hat around and i'm getting these weird looks and then you suddenly realize actually this like in washington dc nsa kind of has a different (laughs) yeah there's a flavor there (laughs) yeah and and also i think probably people in the nsa don't tend to put it on their their hat (laughs) yeah that's true a lot of weird spooks are spooks for a reason um how then i played for the agency baseball team (laughs) (laughs) this is our uniform from this past year Thank goodness there wasn't a Bernie Sanders supporter shooting us. Anyway. Oh, no. Wow. Um, that took a turn. Sorry. So sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How is campus life? So how is student life different at New St. Andrews than, again, your, your Joe Schmo State, State College? How does yeah. that part? If that's education, which you're outlining very clearly, what is student life like? Now, the, the thought behind this question is that the guy that does our post-production, our audio post-production, goes to New St. Andrews. I just want to know what it, what what he's benefiting from being there. That's what I want to know. <laughs> he's going to tell if I'm lying. Who, who is your uh, Jaeger Winkler is... Uh, okay, is got it. Okay, yeah. I didn't realize this. All right. Um, <laughs> well, okay, so um, there's two... Well, two or three ways. You know, one is just the fact that we are a teeny college. We're a small little college, so... Even University of Idaho, which is kind of a nothing university, but they're eight or 10,000 students and we're, you know, under 300 in our undergraduate. So we're a teeny little school and that obviously um, sets a certain kind of tone. Um, Another thing about NSA, we really deliberately don't have dorms. Um, We want the students to, um, I, I, I have found that dorm life tends to um, pull you into this kind of little imaginary world that you don't get out of very easily. Hmm. And you spend four years kind of living inside of this little imaginary city. And if you paid for it with student loans, then you paid for it with imaginary money. And, and you're, you know, you're in this little imaginary world. And then suddenly we pop people out on the other end and say, we're ready. You're now somehow by this, you have been prepared for adulthood and responsibility when what we've really done is strip you of all mm. adulthood responsibility and kind of infantilized you for four years. Mm. So, um, so we, so we're saying no dorms. We want you, if you come to NSA, we treat you like you're a stinking adult. You know, you, 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 you are responsible, pay your bills, find yourself an apartment. You figure out how to, cook your meals or go hungry. That's fine. Either is fine. Do your laundry. Um, we treat them like adults. And I do think that the, the implication of that is that they, 
they learn to be adults. And so this um, this kind of failure to launch syndrome that we see a lot of all around, mm. I think that's self-inflicted by how we have trained our college students. Mm. Um, I don't see that that syndrome in the NSA students at all because by the time they graduate, they've they've all had jobs. They've um, they've been like figuring out how to do life on their own. They're ready to. I was just looking at like our last graduating class. How many of them were either married or engaged or proposed to their girlfriend two days after graduation? You know, like like they're ready to move on. They're they're ready to actually like own it and do what they're supposed to do. And I think that's a result of us treating them like adults while they're at NSA. Um, the last the last thing that I think is unique about being at NSA is this just the unique phenomena of being in Moscow. Moscow is such a crazy town. It's just unlike anything else where you have this like really, really robust um, and serious evangelical presence that's all around. And um, you're supposed to be a part of this town. Um, if you ask any of our grads, you know, like what's the most important thing about NSA, they'll always, they'll kind of get embarrassed because they feel like they're supposed to say, oh, it was my philosophy class or whatever, but almost um, universally in the end, I'll say it was the community. It was the community that I was in. It was the fact that I went to church on Sunday with, you know, Doug Wilson preaching or Toby Sumter preaching or somebody like that. And I was in a Bible study with these people and people called me out of my sin. They encouraged me to grow up as an adult and be a mature Christian. It was the community. And I, mm. so I think that there's something about the fact that we're not this dorm life that we say, go out. We're not, you know, for instance, we don't have a weekly chapel. Um, we have a weekly assembly, but it's disputatio. It's an academic gathering. We don't, we don't try to replace worship for the students. We tell them we want them mm. in one of our actual local churches, worshiping on Sunday with 85 year old ladies and two year old boys Amen. all around you. Yeah, it's really important. Amen. That's a that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> go go be a part of a church. Yeah, we're not, we're not your church. We're we're your we're your your yeah, college, yeah. not your church. Right. <laughs> that's uh, that seems that seems a reasonable that seems a reasonable thing. I, I I feel like that's that's the appropriate answer. <laughs> that, that's really good. Well, actually, I, it, it does. But I remember I remember when I was in when when I was in college, I was at um, University of Idaho, and my my campus crusade Thursday night meeting was my church service. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I didn't go to church. I just, cause I thought we sing praise music. We hear a little bit about the word. This is church. Um, but what it meant was my conception of spiritual maturity tapped out at like 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And that's not a healthy, no. not a healthy thing when like, <laughs> particularly when you're thinking about like, what do I want to, what am I looking for in a future wife? And, and, and the 22 year old couple is like your model of like, that's as good as it gets right there. Um, <laughs> your, your, your scale of what you're looking for becomes pretty juvenile. Um, but then suddenly when you walk into a church body and you realize, whoa, that's what a marriage is, that kind of changes how I'm thinking about this right now. Um, and, I, and I think that we, we have stunted our growth by not um, having those years of 18 to 22 be inside of a mature congregation like that. Mm. I really want to 
launch into a tirade on how we're doing exactly the negative thing that you describe in churches by creating a youth group mentality where we just shove children to lead themselves into some sort of Lord of the Flies situation. (laughs) (laughs) And their, their, their adult mentor is 23 because he's the cheap guy you can get, you know, from Chicago, he needs his intern points. Christian University. <laughs> like, <No>. <laughs> anyway, but I will not. I'm going to hold back. But that may be a reality for many of you to investigate in your local church. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Next <laughs> time we have Ben on, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll we'll do that. That sounds fair. Um, so one of the things that we one of the things that we asked um, Nikki Trouzel when we were talking about homeschooling um, as Christian families is this idea that um, sometimes when we're being not not sold, but when we're being encouraged to go a certain way, like she was, she's really pro homeschooling. Obviously, you're the you're a doctor and president of uh, <laughs> New Saint Andrews, um, and so we we naturally lean towards these things, um, and we we try to steer away from other things. So when when a family is saying, okay, well, I've I've raised my kid in the church, I had them go to youth group, I even put them in Christian private school. You know, what's what's the big deal about putting putting my student in, you know, the the local college or the community college um, for their first few years? So my, my question is, what are the stakes for a Christian family when they're considering state run higher education for their either their child or for themselves? Yeah. So kind of let, let me ask the, the rhetorical question here. If you can reflect back on your own life, the years 18 to 22. Um, were those the insignificant and inconsequential years? E- you know, were, were those the years where like nothing formative happened during during that time frame? He picked um, the one age range where stuff actually happened in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but here's the thing: you're not weird. You're you are like ninety eight percent. Now wait a second. Wait a second. Look, <laughs> Doctor Ben. I've known him my whole life. He's a weird dude. Okay. But I get what you're saying. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Great. Sorry. Say that again. I mean, I know what you're saying, but he's definitely a weird dude. He's definitely weird. I've I've known him. (laughs) Okay. 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 Fair enough. (laughs) I got got it. Well, no. So, so what, what I have noticed is um, parents tend to think, okay, we have them until they're 18. So the education that we give them until they're 18, that's like the concrete that we'll lay. And we'll lay that concrete foundation. And then once we have finished with that, the concrete will be laid. They'll have their Christian worldview. They have all that. And the next few years are, are um, because the foundation of faithfulness has been laid, we can invest the next few years in profitability. So the, the next few years will be about getting the right degree that will get them work certification so they can, so they can go and get certain jobs. And, and they tend to think that concrete on faith has been laid at 18. Therefore, next few years are all about making them profitable. And I need that right degree in order to make them profitable. When I hear that, I just, I, 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 every time I ask a crowd, okay, the years 18 to 22 in your life, were those the years where the concrete had been laid and you and, and nothing formative happened with regard to faithfulness or anything like that? And everybody always goes, mm, well, actually, yeah, that was kind of a big deal those years. Um, I think we tell ourselves that the concrete has been laid by 18 because 
up till the the age 18 is when they're under our control and it makes us feel better to say that when they leave under our parental authority all the work has happened so that nothing else could change them but but look at the data i mean look at the facts and and it's so obvious because um, you know, I think the Baptist denomination or the, the Southern Baptist denomination did a, um, a, a survey on um, apostasy. I've seen multiple surveys like this, and they, they all figure right in the 70 to 80 percent of their kids stop attending church within a year of graduating from high school as they go off to college. Mm-hmm. There is like all of this damage that's happening. I, I, I mean, one of the images I've used before um that I think is helpful. Your, your kids right now would have a better chance if they, if your kids were in the, um, the boats that landed on Normandy beach during the D-Day invasion, they'd have a better chance of surviving that physically than they would spiritually um, survive the American college system. We use, um, we use that. Don't worry. We've, we've we, stolen that and we and use it because we well, use it because he used it. Yes. <laughs> it, it we, 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 we totally, yeah. it's you, but, Yes, yeah. it's it's excellent. Oh, good. I'm, I'm in a footnote. <laughs> um, no, so 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 my 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 point is that these years are so critical. Um, and and if you think through your own life, either um you became a Christian in those college years, or you had a fundamental reckoning in your faith mm. where you where you suddenly understood, hang on, I can't be like that. I, I, if I'm going to be serious as a Christian, I need to be a different kind of person that between 18 to 22, it's crazy how often that happened. Um, how about, um, the, the woman that you married, um, it's not universal, but, but on average, most of us met that woman between 18 to 22 and, and man, there, there's nothing that aside from salvation, there's nothing that shaped your life more than the marriage that you have Amen. as a man or as a woman and and your understanding of what that was about and 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 your wisdom in, in how you walk through that process has a lot to say with either how well your life has gone or how badly your life has gone mm-hmm. and so um i i you know pe- people think that like if i just got that one degree i'd be so much more financially successful but i would just go back and say yeah but if you didn't have three divorces I think you probably actually would be, you know, but a much lower salary, you probably would be more financially successful. And, and how do you set yourself up for that kind of success? Well, be faithful, you know, go to a place where you're being encouraged in faithfulness and your eyes are open and you're being wise. When you make those kinds of decisions, that's 18 to 22. And then I would say also like I, most of us don't really know what we're going to do as a career. But those years, 18 to 22, those are when somebody spoke into your life and started kind of telling you, hey, I think you're good at this and, and gave you that kind of wisdom and counsel to push you in the right direction. So I would say, yeah, 18 to 22, where you go to college really, really matters for the rest of your life in fundamental ways. And I see NSA alums constantly, you know, I just um, had a, a meeting with an NSA grad just a little bit ago. They're, you know, graduated 12 years ago and talking about their their life was set on a particular path during their time here in Moscow at, at NSA. 
Um, I'm not saying NSA is God's choice for everyone. I know that that's 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 not the case. But you have a lot more that, enrollments. <laughs> yeah, but I do I do think that if we disregard the college years um, and we treat them casually, we do so at our own peril. Mm. That is, I mean, you're talking to two guys that got married very young intentionally. I think we uh-huh. both would yeah, say. Yeah, no, I, I didn't do it on accident. No. <clears throat> no, I mean, like, we were like, yeah, no, this is, why are we waiting? This is like. Oh, 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 yes. Okay, you <laughs> jerk. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, uh, I think I think the more you shape it, I wonder, and this is maybe, this is like totally not, this is like a follow-up question. Don't we intend, though, as we're trying as the church, the, all right, let's say the the biblical church, I don't know to give it a, a a brand, but but as as Christian parents, are we intending that we would actually begin to get it more correctly? Uh, like we would we would be better suited in the paideia of God to bring our children up so that they have such a foundational. Hopefully, I'm not going ahead. I didn't realize if this would actually trail into another question, but that we would actually create a foundational worldview for our children that. The college, these liberal arts college, these 18 to 22, those years simply become an extension of everything we've done since birth because we've, I, I don't know, I yeah. feel like we've just failed so much in generationally at, yeah. at treating those ages that we're in the whirlwind, so to speak. Yeah, no, I think I think that's true. I mean, a lot of a lot of this, uh, we're doing a lot of remedial work, right. you know, to catch up on things that we should have gotten done. But but at the same time, I'm, I mean, it's funny because um, the the real the real like sort of deep dark nasty secret of cra- classical Christian education, but also um, higher ed like places like NSA. Most of us are giving the education that we never received ourselves, um, oh, and so we're. Amen. Most of us that are that are leading and teaching and whatnot, we're faking it. In this, you know, there's a little bit of an imposter thing that's going on. Um, you know, like how many how many homeschool moms that are doing classical education are like up late at night the night before, you know, and you know on Wikipedia and all of this, and then showing up the next morning trying to pretend like you know I understand all of this and this is quite natural to me. Um, that's that's true for most of us. I, I, you know, like I said, I went to I graduated from public school, high school. I went to the University of Idaho um, for my undergraduate. And I, I didn't mention it here, but like I, I was on um, academic probation at multiple institutions of higher learning throughout the state of Idaho. So, oh, no. you know, it was it was not a glamorous time um, <laughs> back then. And I and I managed to get into Oxford. And so it kind of it finished well. But it it wasn't like that early on. But my my point is that um, we're kind of faking it. But I get to also see in my own kids kids who are actually raised in this system. So I I I, I will say basically it's kind of like um, in the world of classical education, uh, classical Christian education. I speak with an accent. Mm, you know, like I did. I wasn't raised here. I, I wasn't great. raised here. So you can. You can hear it in my accent. That's my great. kids don't have an accent. My mm. kids were raised in this world and they don't have an accent. And those kids who don't have an accent stepping into a college education like this is really fun to see. It's, it's, and, uh, and I've had multiple times like 
our dinner table conversations with my kids and when they all start going at it, you know, it's just really, um, it's just fun to see mm, the amen. blessings of the education and where it's gotten them. And then also to see this conversation that they're having here is not one they could have had with their high school education. Mm. There, there, there actually was another level they right. still needed to get to. Right. And, and giving them this is giving them something spectacular. Wow. Amen. That's, that's really good. That's and great. We, we relate to that very well because we messed up the Latin in our own podcast name. And then we have then we have people like Jaeger correcting us. So that's <laughs> <laughs> the reality is we started it to we started it prematurely because Jesse does do classical conversations with his family. That's yes. their education. And but I have and all he, very young kids. So, so he hasn't gotten <laughs> to the, the declensions in the Latin. Yeah, for, we haven't gotten there. Yet. Yeah, so yeah, right. we messed it up. So. <laughs> Wrong declension, right theology. That's what we like to and say. And honestly, I take full responsibility because being a very logical and rational person, I know what carpe diem means. And seeing fide, it should have been fidem. What's wrong with me? Carpe fidem. What's the, what kind of idiot am I? Obviously, it makes sense. I know how to speak Spanish. All of the words change. have to end in M. I know how we conjugate things. I mean, like, so obviously, it's just what an idiot. Anyway, I feel well, the, the, Yeah, but see, I didn't even catch that. So now now you say it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess so. But I didn't catch it. So. <laughs> it's because of your accent. See, your accent <laughs> didn't quite catch Honestly, exactly. honestly, it's almost exclusively Moscow, Idaho people that have corrected us on it. It is actually, <laughs> with the exception of maybe one, uh, maybe one, <laughs> almost exclusively. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, people in Moscow. Those guys. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think no, I, I have I have been I've been corrected by students multiple times. I mean, I've got I've got a little bit of Latin, but my Latin is not nearly as good as the students' Latin. And uh, and so yes, I will get that correct correction <laughs> frequently. Oh okay, my like, god! Then we're in really good company then. Plus, carpe fide has a nice. The, the... It just sounds better. We mark it's mark yes, better mark it does better marketability better. there. Yeah, sure. <laughs> At some point, we should really figure out what marketing is. All right. Uh-huh. Anyway, I I think that that conversation. Just, just whenever somebody whenever somebody makes that correction, look at them and go. It was ironic. Come on. It's your own fault for not for not catching the. Some other joke that you would somehow imply in there. <laughs> we'll Google it later. We'll get oh, a good man. one. <laughs> well, I, I think that prior to the Latin discussion, I think that that segues um, really, really good into a question that I, I was most interested in. So like Justin said, um, my family uses classical conversations. Um, uh, Doug Wilson actually kind of introduced me to the idea of classical education. I was able to meet with some people that run classical conversations here in South Jersey um, learned a lot about that and really have fallen in love. I direct now the Foundations and Essentials program um, here uh, in my town. And um, so I'm kind of curious. I want to know if I made the right decision. What type of <laughs> what type of K through 12 education He's most got- <laughs> most benefits a student? On your exclusive track to New St. Andrews, what <laughs> is? <laughs> what, what students do you find are best prepared for the type of rigor in your right. liberal arts college? So there... There's a question there that I um, I actually put this to the faculty recently. Like, if you had to give advice to kids and the K, or parents raising K twelve kids, what advice would you give to get these kids ready for NSA? And so, give me a few months because I'm I'm pulling this out of them. I'd like to turn it into like a piece. So follow up hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll I'll have a more definitive answer on that in the in the next you know few months. But I would say. Um, so at NSA, we get a lot of kids coming out of like 
um, ACCS classical Christian schools, uh, but we also get a lot of kids coming out of homeschooling, uh, classical conversations and uh, some of the online, Logos online, and some of those kinds of um, businesses. I, I, to be honest, I, I really don't see a clear difference between them. They, they seem to, may, maybe our application process is filtering in such a way that we're getting the same quality out of both or something, hmm. but I don't see a really obvious, oh, these kids are always like this and these kids are always like that. Um, I think they both are, are pretty great. There are some slight differences. I think homeschoolers, if they're going pure homeschooling where it's just mom and dad, then frequently homeschoolers will be stronger on reading and weaker on math science. Right. Mm -hmm. um, we'll get a little bit of that. Um, you know, every now and then you get the kid who they, they're, they're all, there is always like the first couple of weeks of NSA where you get a kid who's never had any, a paper graded by anybody but mom. Right. And, and when an instructor comes and like shreds it, then there's some tears <laughs> and it's kind of, why takes a little bit of work to get through that. Why aren't their hearts on but, this? <laughs> but we get through that stuff pretty quickly and you work those bugs out pretty quickly. So I honestly don't think um, I can say this one is superior to that one. Uh, you know, on the other hand, with homeschooling, one of the things you can get is when you get an exceptional kid, then they can get a little more free reign to like really lean into their strengths and become right. really exceptional. Um, and so... Uh, it, it, it kind of just goes both directions. I don't really see it. My main, my main observation is that I tend to see um, not so much a difference between students who graduate from schools versus students who graduate from homeschooling. What I see is a difference between communities that prioritize homeschooling versus communities that start a school. Um, I do think that communities that start a school tend to come together and kind of level up in a way that communities that, that favor homeschooling can't. Um, you're, you're staying a little more um, individuals, uh, small families and whatnot. Um, and in certain places, that's a, that, I think that's a necessity. So when we lived in England, when I was doing my graduate work, we homeschooled our kids. There was no school there that we would have sent our kids to. And I think when you're in that kind of position, you're kind of like, I don't know, you're, you're in this, you're, you're living inside occupied territory. You, you literally, we have fought a whole war <laughs> and you went back there, man. Like we, we dumped the tea in a Harbor. We signed the document. John Hancock's rolling over in his grave. Like, why are you going they back there? put U's after their O's for no reason. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I apologize. <laughs> sorry. Well, so, so I, I do think, I do think that um, there are a lot of situations where um, it makes sense. You need to homeschool because that's the kind of community you're in. But I do think that, that when a community together all leans into starting the schools, there's a certain, there's a certain trickle down momentum that comes from that, that, that raises up the Christian community in interesting ways, hmm. but I don't, but like I said, I don't see that in, I don't see that sorted out in the kinds of incoming freshmen at NSA, like homeschoolers are best or classical schools are best. Interesting. I want to qualify this next question. I just realized like we did a three part series when, um, I don't know if you saw this, but the gospel coalition had, um, Jen Wilkin oh on gosh. to, 
to talk about how public school was a good option for Christian parents. Mm. And it was, they're called the good faith debates. The gospel coalition does them. And if you haven't seen them, it's because you're far too intellectual than, to, <laughs> you know, it's because he can divine good faith from bad faith. <laughs> right. You don't want to get down in the mud with the gospel coalition. We did a three part series kind of just, Hopefully, one of our friends that we destroyed him. I'm like, I don't think that's quite accurate. But we we really dissected her answers. It was really quite. We have a. I'm just saying we have a certain view of what this what state sponsored education is, especially in New Jersey, which is just California East. Y- yes, it's California East. You, you you shrink it down, you flip it, and New Jersey and California are identical. It's the same thing. Okay. Um. But when I, in saying all this, what I don't want to do is is not give you the opportunity to answer this question. Is is there a way that a a person graduates from a a state a state sponsored education and are they able to matriculate into um, New St Andrews? Are, is there a, a barrier or is there a difficulty or is there a way that you bridge any gaps necessarily that may come from an education deficit? Yeah, um, no, I mean we'll we'll get we'll get kids from the public school system almost every year. There, it's definitely a significant minority it's a really significant minority but um god god made people in such a way that you 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 put somebody in a wasteland and they still there's something inside of them the image of god inside of them Mm. that makes them crave um growth and i want to climb up out of this i want to get somewhere and so there's always kids that are in that situation in that system that they show up at a place like this and they're like, yeah, this is what I was needing. This is what I was hoping for. Um, I wouldn't say that the fact that somebody comes from a public school is a um, impossible barrier to get over. But I would say the public school system is an is a absolute travesty nightmare mess. I mean, it, it really is um, a, a complete, you know, like one of the things I've noticed is, do you notice how everybody in high school, like, they're 17 years old and they're already getting, they've already knocked out a year of college through <laughs> dual enrollment and all of this stuff. And I'll get kids who will come to me and they're like, I'm 17, but I already, if I come to your school, I need to come in as a junior because I've already finished my freshman and sophomore year of college. And I'm like, no, you've, you've got a piece of paper that says that, but you don't have the actual education. If I put you in to one of my junior classes, you would be destroyed by that <laughs> academic experience because you don't have the education that gets you there. But what's happened is um, our our K to twelve education has been dumbed down so much that um, that you're graduating now as a high school student with the education of a sophomore in high school at best, and they're they're graduating. The average student is graduating with a sophomore level education, and so colleges have had to do all this remedial training. So now the freshman and sophomore year in college is mostly remedial education. It's, Mm. it's the, it's whatever you missed your junior and senior year of high school. And that's why so many kids can jump straight into their junior year of college is because freshman and sophomore year are essentially remedial. And that's, that's throughout our public school system. And then, and that's just, that's not even touching all of the moral problems of what's going on in those schools, but the level of education is so degraded that it's, it's just a, a travesty. Which is why um, you need a master's or a doctorate to do anything anymore. Like you need the next two to eight to four yeah. years of education to actually do anything. 
Like this is ridiculous. This is bigotry yeah, of low expectations. People have masters. Yeah, it's a joke. Mm. Mm. Oh. <sighs> We needed to have another podcast with him on <laughs> so we could talk for forever. Um, Alrighty, so so kind of going. I mean, I feel like we touched on this earlier. Look, if you want to skip a question, skip a question. I but mean, I don't really want to because I feel like it might. We can we can go deeper into it. I think. Oh, I know, I know. Ben can go deeper into this particular topic. <laughs> he is a doctor. He is a doctor. <laughs> Save us, doctor. So bring, bring your back. so um kind of we we did touch on it earlier but maybe we can maybe we can dive a little bit deeper so so we talked a little bit about this so we all know that nsa or really any other university won't save our child right so i I think as parents we can go into protect mode so we so we homeschool so we christian school so we 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 shelter and protect which is part of our job for sure but um but we can't let these these things replace church community and and right. discipleship and, and all of these things. So um, university won't save our child. So how do we break the chain, uh, this generational chain of handing off our children to others, like in the university, for instance, um, for gospel maturity as Christian parents? So how do we break that chain of handing off our kids, our students, um, for gospel maturity as Christian parents? And, and how does NSA try to foster... Um, that that mentality on a practical level. I think earlier you mentioned that like uh, you encourage church attendance and stuff like that. So how do we break that chain? And you also admitted that you know New St. Andrews isn't like God's gift of college for everybody. So I mean you've answered both I, of these questions, but this is more of like a drill down. Yeah. Does any of that make sense? So, by the way, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I mean, um, w- w- when you say break that chain, that that chain, can you define exactly what you mean by that chain? Sure. Like um like um kind of breaking down the mentality of okay so i'm i'm going to send them to new st andrews and and they'll be fine there they'll be protected there kind of like have i to send worry my, about them i send there. my kid to youth group so that they're saved now that kind of chain like right. we we use yeah. these things we hand off yeah. responsibility because we signed a check more or less is kind of how we we treat it is that right yeah. yes oh. right yeah no i think so <laughs> my advice is don't do that <laughs> Um, <laughs> I knew it. That would be your advice. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I get what you mean. And, and it is, you see this, um, I, I see this all the time with like, uh, you know, I, I'm blessed to have Doug Wilson as a father-in-law and um, getting to watch um, Doug as a, as a, um, as a pastor, as an elder. How did I not make that connection? Family, I am blown know, away right now. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? It's okay. Like, like when I was interested in my wife, it meant I had to go and like sit across the the desk from Doug Wilson and say, you know, I I like your daughter. (laughs) Lord in heaven. (laughs) Thank you. Meanwhile, the couch next to him is burning. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that's the answer. (laughs) Anyhow, um, so, so I've had the experience of watching what his actual parenting is like. And then I, I see all of the ministry that comes out of his work, um, the preaching and, and particularly the books, you know, all of the books on on marriage, on parenting and all these things. And then what I'll see is I'll, I'll see people who like read the book and 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 they will grab the book in some ham handed way 
and they will say, listen, what I got from your ministry was if I put my kids in a classical Christian school, if I'm reformed, if I um, sang psalms, and if I uh, used the courtship model, if I did all of those things, I was promised that my kids would turn out as Christians. Oh, man. And then I, and I look at them and I think, yeah, but you were nowhere near the father that he was. You were actually kind of a jerk. You were, you know, there's all of these things where it's like, sure, you, you, you grabbed, you grabbed the external methods, you know, the, the externals of, of the methodology, but you didn't understand the actual heart of it, which was this person who understands the gospel, applies it by faith to your life, and then applies that faith to the life of your children mm. and raises them inside of that love. That's a, that's a, totally different thing than I checked this box and I checked this box and I checked this box. I remember one, one of the things that Doug said once, I think it was just like, just really mind blowing for me because somebody was talking about, they were comparing like two families where one followed methodologically every single thing they should have done right. And yet lost all of their kids. And then somebody else who made a ham handed decision after ham handed decision and yet their kids all love God and, and are faithful children, faithful mm. kids. And somebody's like, why is this? And, and Doug said, well, love trumps dumb. Um, <laughs> with lo Thanks. love trumps dumb. Thank the Lord. When, Praise when the Lord. Have... <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and I think it's true. I will see somebody who, okay, you know, in terms of curriculum, I would have made a different de decision or in terms of, you know, you used the um, Belgic confession. I would have used the Westminster, you know, like, like so there, there are trivialities of distinctions like that, that people will get all worked up over. And then they'll miss the fact that like, yeah, but you were a total jerk to your kid 90% of the time. And you thought that God blessed that because you taught them Latin, mm. you know, like, what a <laughs> and, and so so I think the thing is, is, is understanding that all of these things are about, it's helping you to see something, but if you don't, if you don't, um, if you don't see the thing itself, which is the love of God is promises to us. And if you don't throw yourself at that, if you just are clinging at the scaffolding that was about kind of helping you to get there, then, then yeah, you, you are going to miss it all. And you're going to wonder why, because I did everything right technically. Um, but it just goes back to Jesus confronting the Pharisees, where it's like, yeah, you tithed out of them the mint and the cumin, but you missed the greater things, which is love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, love trumps dumb. That's fantastic. Hmm. <laughs> and I am thankful that that is actually a very true statement um, yeah. in, my, in my own life. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's comforting, but also in one way, it's kind of convicting. Oh, yeah. Because... What I what I've found is like because I want to be able to say, oh, well, I can't be held accountable for that because I didn't know about those things. But it's like I did always know what love looked like. Mm. I, I always like obedience, real, true obedience is always just like right in front of me. And mm. I know what love looks like. And I could at least do that. Yeah, I did want to I did want to clarify one point. Um, anybody that was in the negative example there was saying that they were reformed and also <laughs> living that way would have been a liar because. 
reformed means to be doing what God's word says. So like you're a big yeah. fat liar. You're, you're, oh no, I'm reformed. You know, you say you're reformed, but you have no yeah. idea what the Bible actually is calling you to do, totally. nor are you yeah. doing it. I thought he was going to say the difference between the two families was infant baptism, but I, I didn't, that didn't oh, go the way no. I thought. I was careful. You, you were very careful. careful. You, did a, you did a good job. Ironically, ironically, we're both dunkers, but now my, all of my kids are dunked. So I can say like, Hey, my whole baptism is baptized. And then Jesse's you know, only two of his kids are baptized. I don't want to start to pot, stir the pot here. They're so tiny. <laughs> They're so tiny. The one would be drowned, but it is neither here nor there. We do do full immersion. We are, we are, you know, I don't know. Those Eastern babies, those Eastern Eastern Orthodoxes, they, <laughs> they get them pretty low in that water. Stop it. We have questions. <laughs> Um, I'm going, uh, this was really one of my favorite questions, but I don't feel like I don't want to take up too much of your time here. Um, we just want to say here, we love your ads. Your NS, your, your new St. Andrews college ads are phenomenal. And whoever is in charge of putting together the ads, they need a gold star on their chart because <laughs> they love them. They're so good. My mom sends them to me whenever one comes out. She's like, did you see this yet? <laughs> oh yeah. It's, I mean, and it, and the great part is you space them out so far that they're like a little treat. Like you, you don't, you know how like movies, yeah, like a movie used to be like, you know, you'd get the original and then four years later you get the sequel and you were really like, oh wow, this is great. You know, now everything like the Babylon Bee, it's like funny every day. But like when you guys do it, it's like, oh wow, it's been, it's been like, eight months to a year since I've seen an ad this good. Well, I mean, I, I would kind of liken it to, you know, sitting in the armchair, it's raining outside, and you look at the world around you, and you've got men pretending to be women in <laughs> high political office, you've got people dyeing their hair and calling themselves cats, and, and all of these sorts of things, and you're like, why why go on living? And then a new, new St. Andrews ad drops, and you're like, oh, we can take this on. <laughs> This is a shameless plug to look at the show notes. There will be a link to their most recent New St. Andrews ad, and it's phenomenal. Um, and you will love it. And then you'll be like, oh, yes, my kids, too, will need to go to New St. Andrews. Anyway, what's the question here? Uh, I'm moving past that. I'm moving on to the next question that is far more important. Oh, you're what not going to some... ask it? Okay. No, I'm not going right. to do that. I'm not going to do that. Okay. We're just moving right along. Uh, we have, he's only, what, we all said? only have so much time. What are some must-read books or resources for parents to help them make the best educational decisions for their families? In your in your opinion, this is something we also asked um, Nikki yeah. Truesdale. Yeah, I'm not looking for poll each. results from the faculty as no, just, just gut decisions. In your decision. opinion, these are great resources. So, I mean, the, the book that started it all was "Recovering Lost Tools of Learning" by mm -hmm. Doug Wilson. So, I think that he wrote that in 1990. I'm pretty sure that sounds right. Um, and that, and that's the, the, you know, that's the book that launched the movement. So, uh, that's a really important one, um, to look at. Um, another one, um, oh man, I knew you guys were going to ask this and I forgot to actually go and look it up. Um, there's a book that was just, uh, in the last year came out by David Goodwin, who is the head of the Association of Classical Christian Schools, ACCS, David Goodwin and um, Pete Hegseth from Fox News. Um, if you look on Amazon, because I know this book was a, a bestseller within the last year, um, David Goodwin and Pete Hegseth, if, I don't know if you're Googling right Battle now. Battle for the I, American Mind? No, that's Pete Hegseth. There we go. Exclusive. Battle for the American oh, Mind. I did it right. Um, yeah. That's one of the most sort of up-to-date books on what's going on in the, the, the education movement. They really, um, 
you know, Pete Hegseth was a Fox News guy who had his, who I'm not sure how he ended up with his kids in a classical Christian school and then kind of went, whoa, hang on, what's going on? And then really realized this is something really distinct and different. And then struck up a friendship with David Goodwin, who walked him through how American education got to where it is and why classical Christian education is doing something different. And Hegseth got very captivated by that idea, and it ended up in um, a multi-episode series on Fox News, and then this book that became a bestseller. So I really recommend that as a text that that you ought to be um, familiarizing yourself with. Excellent. That's so great. I love it when we get unique answers. Cause... I'm going to buy it right now. <laughs> well, right after interview. <laughs> okay. Well, like, yeah, like control yourself with your materialism. Just one second. Just give it a second. <laughs> if you were to recommend something for a high school student, uh, freshman, freshman to senior, so that that age range of 14 to 18, and they're getting ready to move, you know, they're, they're considering strongly education. And they want to understand more about uh-huh. it. What would be something for them? Maybe it sparks the learning or, or, or would increase that desire to, to excel in, in, in I, I, I feel like seeing liberal arts here because now that I know yeah. that it means to be Reading. liberated. <laughs> so, so I would say, I mean, I remember, um, okay, I'll go back to the kind of the beginning of our, our, our conversation. I was describing that becoming reformed in, um, over the course of the year in that Bible study, working through Romans. Um, the next year, we we um, instead of doing a book, of, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> instead of doing a book of the Bible, we grabbed um, um, "Disciplines of a Godly Man" um, by Kent Hughes, and it was just walking through the basic Christian disciplines: prayer, reading your Bible. It just just the basics, which was like at the time. It's so weird now that that was so mind blowing. Um, I can't believe I could be a college student and be like, whoa, I'm supposed to read my Bible. Um, but at the time, it was, it was incredible. But one of the things that really was amazing was at the end of that book, he, um, he surveyed 20 or 30 of the kind of the top evangelical minds of, of the time. And there was like R.C. Sproul was one of the guys. And I remember a number of other people. But he, he just asked them, what are the most influential books in your lives? And what was amazing to me was, was looking at this list and, and how many of them gave the same answers. You know, Calvin's Institutes was really high on the list. But also um, the works of Dostoevsky were really way, way up there. And it amazed me. I, I remember at this time, this is when I'm like a chemistry major, starting to be serious about the Christian faith. And what it, what it opened my eyes to was this idea that like to be a Christian is to be somebody who's reading and studying and enjoying literature. And so I really, because of that started kind of throwing myself at, okay, I need to be somebody, if I want to be serious as a Christian, I need to read. And um, Dostoevsky was great and Calvin's Institutes was great. But I think um, the, the things that really um, helped me to like, the life of the mind to catch on fire would be definitely the works of Lewis. You, 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 um, I think anybody, any Christian ought to be immersing themselves in the works of Lewis and a high school kid. It's right at that level for you. He does a great job of writing the level of a high school student. You should be reading, you know, obviously you should have already done your Narnia. Um, I think that, um, 
I mean, you can start that anytime. If you haven't started it yet, please, now's a good time. But, I mean, also, you know, move past it, but as well. Yeah. What? I'm sorry. Say that again. Like Narnia. Narnia is good. I don't want to. I don't want to discourage you. If you haven't started it yet, please yeah. start it. But but then, but then you then you move past. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. Yeah, you got to move past that it. hideous strength. Like if you've not read oh. that hideous strength, that is the most. Um, I mean, that that one's worth honestly to me. That's something I read almost once a year with my wife. It, it and and if you want to understand the world that we live in right now, read um, that hideous strength. Um, along with the abolition of man. They were meant to be read, read together. That tells you what is going on in the world right now and why it is happening the way it is happening. So absolutely that. Your mere Christianity, all, all of that. Um, great divorce. You should be devouring that. But also Francis Schaeffer, to me, um, you know, the, the first Francis Schaeffer I read was um, Escape from Reason, which was this teeny little book that I remember when I was trying to read it, I would read a page and then I would have to go back to the beginning and read it again and then go back to the beginning and read it again. It, it was so hard for me to understand the argument that he was making, but I knew that it was important. And I finally got that book, you know, I understood it and it was the most, it, it really turned my mind to being able to be somebody who's a thinker. It's mm. funny to me that I did my doctorate at Oxford, but when I started, like I, it really was hard for me to read works like that. But reading, working through Francis Schaeffer was was hugely helpful. And I would definitely high school students devour your Francis Schaeffer. Um, and then, you know, there, there's countless things coming right. um, after that. There's a lot of great work that's just online now that I think is worth, I mean, Doug's blog is a fantastic thing to be um, at every day, but there's so many other things that you ought to be uh, devouring. Yes. And amen. I would, uh, I would encourage that. I, I will often do the briefing followed by blog and may blog. I will kind of get two different yeah. sides of the coin. So I'll, I'll do a little Albert Moeller and then I'll do, I'll do Doug Wilson. And, and then I, you know, <laughs> Have, at least have a good barometer of where I should be going um, <laughs> between the two. Um, usually yep. I just trail off into Doug, but neither do I. It's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> I do. I do love uh, that you mentioned how they, they referenced Dostoevsky because you're looking at a writer who, who dabbled in both analysis and also fiction and kind of, kind of brought those mm -hmm. worlds together because I, I do feel like so many of these answers ignore the fact that storytelling is so integral um, to to understanding the world around us that that all stories are based on God's story and and the best stories actually tell the truth um, and it's I've, I've just been gleaning that through my life as I've you know I used to just say well, if I'm not reading something that's not nonfiction like if it's if it's fiction why am I reading it and then yeah. I, I dove back into fiction and I said, the reason I'm reading fiction is because the best stories tell God's story in a different way. They're, they're oh, the yeah. best ones, they're the ones we love. Um, so I just, I love that you mentioned that. And, and the footnotes that you can find in most of these books will give you enough reading for the next 30 years. So <laughs> what the heck do you know about Dostoevsky? What, where, where the heck did that come from? How do you know what's on my Kindle right now, you, you jerk? <laughs> I guess How I, dare you? I guess I don't, but I, I'm I'm flabbergasted. I'm a little shocked right now. Well, you know like what? I, I, I knew that I knew that Ben was uh, was Doug Wilson's son-in-law. So there's that. Things you know that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
Oh, man. Oh, now, now he's choking. <laughs> I've killed him accidentally. Oh, this through is, through this sheer is, wit. We're on just audio right now, not video. Yeah, that's yes. correct. <laughs> right? So I can tell people that you're actually giving him the Heimlich to help. Oh, him. yes, yes. I am a nurse, so that, that would be an obligation Thank you. that I have. Thank you for saving me, Dr. Jesse. No, Dr. My, Fauci. Why did you, you. pull out Dr. Fauci's voice? Because <laughs> Dr. Fauci saved me. Um, he also does sound like he's constantly choking, so that's fine. Senator Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Choking on his lies. Regardless. Regardless. All right, Justin, you got this last question. Look, we are almost done. This is very important. What budget does NSA have for their DEI faculty training and curriculum? That's diversity, <laughs> equity, and inclusion. <laughs> yes. We're all of us are equi- diversity, equity. We're all of DEI. 100%. Nobody is not. <laughs> nobody is not DEI <laughs> I love the compliance nobody. comrade <laughs> your, it's an- such a, oh. your answer it, it, will be noted in the book I mean it, it's interesting like the thing is it's actually an interesting kind of experiment you can go through because most public universities you can actually go online and pull their annual budget so you can see what they're spending on everything and man what you could you could delete so many positions so quickly and improve the education. You wouldn't just not harm the education. You actually improve the education. The amount of weird offices that have to be funded <laughs> in order to pick whatever you know diversity box or whatever it is to keep the government agencies happy. It's really really absurd. Um, you know. We're, we're really able to run at a much more affordable level just by not having to bow to all of those weird little offices. Does New St. Andrews take any state funding or government take, funding? What was it? Take any state or government funding? No, no. So no, <laughs> um, no Pell Grants, um, no federally subsidized student loans. Throughout all of COVID, we didn't take any of the PPP money or any of those. So no, no, no federal money. And, and there's, there's a variety of reasons for that. One is the fact that the big one is that we don't want the, um, we don't want the uh, constraints that come with the federal money. We don't want to have to tell the girls that they now have to shower with the guys because we took that federal money. So that's, that's kind of a big one. We don't want to be under any of those constraints. I think it's Rob Borton's from, from classical conversation that says with, with the shackles come the shackles Mm. um, and we don't want the shackles. So, so that's one reason. Another is just your, um, you kind of just that, that general principle of like, I just don't feel like that's what taxes are for. I don't feel like, um, I don't feel like my state or my nation owes us this money. And I think that saying no to that is important because that's just not what taxes are for. And then the other the other thing that I think is really important is that by saying no to federal money, it actually keeps our tuition much truer to the price signals of the free market. Um, this this tuition is is truly what people are willing to pay, and and if I jack it too much, then I will know because people will start stop coming. And I think that um, when you have the out of Pell Grants and federally subsidized student loan, you can jack the tuition and people can still cover it because they're using what it feels like to them as imaginary money. 
Yeah, um, it's just printed and I, and I, at the Federal Reserve yeah. and and shipped off. <laughs> that's right, and I think I think that's just not healthy for us as a financial institution. So we are we are really alive in the really middle of the game of the actual price signal of the free market. If we if we do this wrong, we go down, and I think that that's a responsibility that is healthy and and really good to own. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. I I was. <laughs> I used to think like you, you make the argument like, well, like you were saying earlier, you can get a grant or you can or you can get a loan for your your education. But the reality is it's not attached to a value. Right. So, yes, you can get sixty thousand yeah. dollars towards your education as a mechanical engineer and you can get sixty thousand dollars towards your underwater basket weaving degree. Like those two things are not yeah. the same. <laughs> Um, but then I realized that, oh, you can get like, you can be a, a white liberal woman, you know, from New York and get your degree in diversity training and suddenly make, you know, six figures. So it's actually ironic that stupid degrees now can get you a lot of money at college campuses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, this interview uh-huh. changed my life. I've discovered that I want to be a, uh, what do they call those? A, 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 an advisor like a like a, <laughs> like a consultant no like what they have them they're like fine like not student advi- you want to be in the like advisors, equity and inclusion that t- counselor like yeah, that. yeah yeah that tells the kids you know you can be whatever it's like disney like you can be whatever you want you know what, what, what do you want to be pick from the menu that the career menu that sounds like a great gig i mean very little you know responsibility you hand them two <laughs> menus your gender and also your career <laughs> Uh, Dr. Ben Merkel, this has been absolutely <laughs> fantastic. And when you finish getting gathering that that data from the the faculty, it would be I mean, we would be absolutely fascinated in it. So would you when you analyze it and write your diatribe on what they have uh, said has um, been most beneficial as far as educating a student up towards NSA, like yeah. towards that, we would love to uh, we would love to hear that. Um, so that that would be fantastic. Absolutely. I'll, I will, um, I'll remind them we need to get this thing done. It's the, it's the summer months right now. So everybody's gone, but as soon as they get back, that, that'll be the front of the list. Oh, please do not. I mean, rush it on your account. If that's what you want, you are the man in charge. But <laughs> guys, I was on this I podcast. Do, These yeah, guys I, from I South Jersey be- want this. <laughs> we are no one, um, but we are thankful uh, for what you guys, I, now that I know that you are, uh, son-in-law to Doug Wilson. I didn't even know that, but now I know. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of, oh, quick plug. That's one of the things I was thinking about fiction. Like Doug Wilson's fiction is makes you engage and uh, like, I love it. I absolutely love Doug Wilson's fiction. I may be one of the weird people that loves it more than even some of his nonfiction, but I love the fiction. <laughs> Sorry, I'm neither here nor there. I'm glad you stopped yourself. I give out his book, fictional books to young men. I'm like, Read this. You didn't give me any of his books. Not you. You're a pure <laughs> brother. You're not someone I'm trying to influence you. Anyway, we have really enjoyed our time uh, so much with you, uh, Dr. Ben Merkel. I hope it's been. I hope it's been also enjoyable for you. <laughs> if there's any, if there's ever anything we can do, let us know. Um, but I hope, dear Christian, that this has been something for you that's been very encouraging, and we hope that you choose this day to seize, seize the, the faith. faith.